please be advised, this episode may include depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language that is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Hi, welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Lenny. And I am Matteo, or <laughs> Matt. I go by both. So, hey, we're so glad y'all are back and listening to our podcast, and I hope everybody is gearing up for spring, a little bit of warmer weather. Yes. Of course, we'll get those showers coming in. Oh, and some tornadoes, probably. And for Oklahoma, some <laughs> tornadoes, plus wherever you live, you may get those as well. Mm-hmm. So be ready for that. Um, we're starting to ride our motorcycles, get them out in the in the sun, um, yes. and just enjoying them. I I was so proud of myself because I'm still really new to riding. I haven't even left the neighborhood yet, but I was so proud <laughs> because I went around the neighborhood without dropping my bike. I did good. Woo! <laughs> it's a big deal for me. Heck yeah, man! <laughs> so definitely riding those on uh, our motorcycles on nice days is is definitely going to be coming a thing and then of course we're making so we have one trip that we're excited about going to New Mexico with a couple of friends so that's going to be fun but it'll test us a little bit uh, in our mm-hmm. riding skills um, yeah I don't I'm not 100% sure I can do it yet we may, it's all gonna depend on how I feel as we get closer to that time we may end up buying a trailer and just pulling the motorcycles with us because I'm not I can't even get out of the neighborhood yet, let alone go a thousand or so miles and, and get on highways and yeah. things like that. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not there. Like if you ask me to go today, it's not happening, Right. but give me a couple months. Mm-hmm. I do plan to ride a lot this spring and summer. Maybe by the end of the summer, I'll be, I'll be all down for it. But right now I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so too, what got us in the mood of wanting to ride our bikes is seeing a bunch of people on their bikes over this weekend. We went down to Fort Worth, oh, yeah. um, took a trip a few hours, uh, or three, about three hours, close to two and a half down uh, south, went to the Fort Worth Stockyards, went to a concert. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We got to go, um, I'd never been in the Fort Worth area, by the way. I've been to Dallas mm-hmm. many, many times, but but Fort Worth right next to it, never, never went there. And it was so cool. My, my husband planned this impromptu trip for us and we went down there and I had so much fun. I was on the way back yesterday. I was like, we got to start planning more trips to Fort Worth. (laughs) I just, I liked it. It it was nice. Lots of shops, lots of good food. Uh, entertainment, things to do. And they give free beer. Free beer when you go shopping at the (laughs) shops. And that's their way. So I was telling, I was like, oh, I think I know why they do that. So they don't have to get an alcohol license. So they'll just give it away free. 
And not that many people aren't. It's not like tons of people are asking for it or anything. Right. But they, it's a complimentary deal. Yeah. Of course, they're hoping you're going to spend some money there. Well, we did. We, yeah. we oh, spent we some spent, money. We spent, <laughs> <laughs> we spent plenty. Yes, we did. <laughs> we won't talk about that. No, we're going to skip that part. All right. So last week, we talked about Urban Legends. And we will uh, definitely have some more Urban Legend episodes in the future. And people really, people really seem to like those. So we're definitely going to do more of those. And my wife's uh, sister called and told her about Resurrection Mary. And it's an urban legend that was related to the vanishing hitchhiker or the lady in white. Yeah. So we might tell that about. one along with some of the other suggestions. Well, I mean, we already did kind of we tell it, but I'll bit. give you the background that she gave mm-hmm. me in her voicemail. I was like, that is cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, so if you want to add yours to the list, send us an email or message us on Instagram because that's another way to reach us. And, uh, hey, you know, we can definitely use use some more yeah. thoughts, ideas to put Especially together. Especially for Urban Legends, like, because I mm-hmm. think this is going to be something that we can do, like, little bonus episodes of. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun. Yeah, for sure. And this week, though, we are back on the murder train. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> like we're a- talking about a total piece of <laughs> shit. Yes. Dean Arnold Coral, known as the Candyman. Yes. And we just can't stand this guy. No. I mean, most serial killers I read about turn my stomach, turn my wife's stomach, and I don't like them. But this guy has a special kind of sick that really gets under our skin. So let's talk about him so you can hate him too. Yes. <laughs> All right. So Dean Arnold Coral was born on December 24th, 1939 in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And you would think, Oh, Christmas baby. So cool. No, he's not a he's gift. He's not so cool. He was not a gift. His parents were Ar- Arnold Edwin Coral and Mary Robinson. For some reason, I do not want to get his dad's <laughs> name out of my I mouth. I cannot say it. Dean was the oldest of three children, one full sibling and one half. His parents had a rocky relationship, and they divorced in 1946 when he was seven years old. In the same year they divorced, Dean was diagnosed with rheumatic fever, and he was unable to participate in physical activity. He was known to be a shy child who rarely socialized with other children, but he was also known to have empathy and show care for others, which is strange. Yeah. Because usually if you turn out to be the kind of killer that he turns out to be, it's early on in life that you start to see that they have no empathy, but Mm -hmm. he didn't, he wasn't missing that apparently. Like he was known to have empathy for others. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too, but his parents reconciled and remarried four years after their divorce in 1950, but soon divorced again for the same reasons as before three years later in 1953. So this poor kid not only had mom and dad who, Fought a lot, but they got divorced twice. Yeah, in his lifetime. To see it, oh, hey, it's like cool, awesome. The return of my parents are back together, back to which is what just, every kid wants, yeah. right? Usually, and then to see him get divorced again, you're like, oh, like, like that's gotta heck? be a dub. I mean, it's hard enough for your parents to get divorced one time, but to watch it happen twice yeah. to me is like that's probably where he got the most damage, you know? Maybe, but who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Not kill damage, though. Come on. No. So, anyway, Dean and... take it out on others the way he did. Right? Like, ugh. As you so, will see. Dean and his younger brother, Stanley, lived with their mom, who remarried a traveling salesman named Jake West, who she had her third child with. So, that's 
where the okay. half sibling came from. The family moved to, I think it's called Vider. It's Vider. Vider. Which Vider is a little town. It's on the way between Houston if you're going towards Beaumont to Louisiana. See, it's nice to have a husband believe, from Texas who I'm could from, tell us. If this. I'm right. <laughs> well, Vider it was known as very racist. Oh wow. I mean, it was bad. Really? You like if if you were African American and you were there after dark, don't be there. Oh wow. They would they had signs. Hopefully that's that. changed over the years, I hope. I believe still I believe it has changed. But I believe and I, I totally could be wrong, but I believe in the early late nineteen nineties Mm-hmm. There still was stuff like oh signs gosh, and things like. That's nuts. But you know, a town gets that name and it just gets passed down. I know. So people I know. will know and they'll just stay clear. Same with um, what was that town outside of Altus? That... Oh, I know. Yeah, I can't remember, but it also had that reputation. The good steakhouse. But yeah, the town had that reputation that it mm-hmm. used to have some stuff up, just blat- yes. blatant. Yes. So anyway, yeah, just yeah I guess once once you have it, you have it, but. Let's get back on track here. So the family moved to Vider, Texas, where they opened a candy-making business called Pecan Price. Now, I think in my readings, Pecan Price was like a franchise-type thing, maybe. Okay, so they just took on a franchise. It's, bought, it's what it, it. kind of seems like. Oh, so, uh, okay. And you'll see in a little bit. But it was a family business. So Dean and his brother Stanley worked the candy-making machine while their stepfather, Jake, sold the candy. Coral or Dean, was known to be a hard worker and a good student, though he had a reputation of being a loner. So he was by himself a lot. Mm -hmm. He did go on the occasional date in high school, though, so he wasn't like a complete outcast. Right. Dean graduated high school in 1958, and that summer his family closed the candy store in Vider and opened a new one in Houston, Texas, where they had moved. Okay. So... They closed that one, but they opened a new one, and it was called Coral Candy Company. Okay, so they were kind of venturing out on their own, maybe, right. if that was a franchise, like you thought through the reading. But they closed it mm-hmm. in Vider, but they didn't open another pecan price. They opened their- Coral Candy Company. Okay. So this really is their family business at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's what they, they did in Houston. And two years after they moved to Houston, though, Dean for some unexplained reason, moved back to Indiana and moved in with his widowed grandma at his mom's request. It's almost like she kicked him out for two years, which I found kind of strange. It doesn't go into detail about what was happening or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but for two years, he moved in with his widowed grandmother back in Indiana. starting to act out. I don't know. He, while he was in Indiana, he dated a girl there that he, she actually proposed to him, but he turned her down. So they were pretty serious, apparently. You know, yeah. girls, especially back in the right. 50s, and 60s. girls proposing to him. Yeah. So. She's like, he's never going to propose to me, so I might as well do it. Right. But he, <laughs> he turned her down and moved, you know, in 1962, he moved back to Houston because his mom and stepdad were having marital problems. And he thought he could help them somehow. But they ended up getting divorced in 1963. So this also makes me wonder about his personality back then. Yeah. like. Did he think he was the fixer, the man of the house, the yeah, you know, or some of that empathy that he was that you talked about earlier, right? That he's trying to that. I mean, that can put a lot of pressure on you. Mm-hmm. So here he is trying to help his mom save her marriage again, but yeah. it doesn't work out. So Mary Robinson, Dean's mom, opened her own candy store 
and made Dean the vice president of it. But I don't know what it was called. So maybe this was the Coral Candy Company. And maybe the other one was Pecan Price again. I don't know. I okay. can't remember now. It might be getting mixed up because it's been a minute. But <laughs> that's okay. Forgive me, y'all. <clears throat> that same year, they had opened the candy store. One of the teenage boys who worked for them complained to Mary that Dean was making sexual advances toward him. But Mary just fired the boy. Like, she didn't okay. investigate it. She didn't do anything about she fired the boy who complained yeah so this is where it starts that's well, one way to get rid of the situation right it is yeah just, you're fired yeah just fire him <laughs> well we don't have to worry about my son messing with you anymore right? if i fire you yeah so this is this is relevant though because of his crime so the boy probably heard about dean later on and started counting his blessings that he got fired oh i bet because it just gets bad from here so in 1964, even though he had a heart condition, he was drafted into the army. And a year, and this was a year after the incident at the candy company, where the boy told his mom that mm -hmm. he was hitting on him and got fired. And he was stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana, for a 10 month training program. This is reportedly uh -huh. where he found out that he was homosexual, and he had his first sexual encounter with a man at Fort Polk. It's either, you know, join the military or go to the pen. You're going to find out about yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so. Well, it's like my friend told me when I told him I was joining the Air Force. He was like, oh, shave my head and live with men. Where do I sign? Where do I sign? Oh my God. <laughs> Messing with me. I was like, really? Listen, I but joined hey, the military hey. too, and I didn't shave my head. Yeah. But to each is their own, and you do you. Right, you do you. So after being honorably discharged from the Army, he returned to Houston, where he worked for his mom at the same candy store. So he basically got out of the Army and went right back home. And he started making sexual advances toward the male employees there. And remember, at this point, he's fully, mm -hmm. he knows he's he homosexual. He knows who he mm -hmm. is. Okay. So this is where it starts to really get go downhill. Okay. So in 1967, Dean befriended a 12-year-old, David Owen Brooks. And I'm just going to say in advance, you guys, his age range of kids he murdered and stuff like that were all from about the age of 13. Right at to puberty. 29. Very, oh, so. He had okay. a big. He had a, yeah, right. Big gap in the age there okay. and. I hate kids involved, so mm -hmm. just want to put that out there. But so he was a equal mm -hmm. opportunity killer. I would say so, yes. So Dean befriended a 12-year-old, David Owen Brooks, and the two would go camping together, and David really looked up to Dean and claimed that he would, saw him as a father figure. Like, oh, they were very close. Yeah. And in 1969, though, things took a turn when Dean started paying David, who was about 14 now, to perform oral sex on him. And you would think that this would have ended their relationship, but it didn't. Mm. This damaged this poor kid so much yeah. that the same year, in 1969, the candy company closed, and Dean found a job testing electrical relay systems with Houston Lighting and Power Company and started having David work for him to get boys for him. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. instead of... This poor kid running from his now molester. He's going to work for him. Now he's helping him do it to others. Okay. So you can see he's started his deviant behavior now. 
and it just escalates. And he got really, really bold. So he targeted males, like I said before, between the ages of 13 and 20. Oh, 13 and 20, not 29. Okay. Sorry about my notes. Wrong there. But <laughs> With the help of David and another boy named Elmer Wayne Henley, who David had lured to be one of Dean's victims, but he became an accomplice. All of Dean's victims were either friends of Elmer and or David, acquaintances of Dean's in some way, or had been employed at the Coral Candy Company. So he knew them all in some way, or or someone he was affiliated with knew, knew them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you what he would do to his victims, just as a heads up right here. It's not. It's cringe yeah. stuff. If you might want to cross your legs. (laughs) (laughs) So Dean would drive the boys to his house, promising drugs or alcohol. But once he would got, he would get them there. He would strip them naked and tie them to a plywood torture board that he had in his bedroom. And I'm not sure if he drugged them, knocked them out or Mm -hmm. what, but somehow he got them. He got them naked and put them to a plywood torture board that he had in his bedroom. Wow. And pictures of this torture board are disgusting. Yeah. I'll post them on Instagram because I'm crazy. This is where he would rape, beat, and torture his victims. He tortured them by raping them, sodomizing them, plucking out their pubic hairs, chewing on their genitals, inserting various objects into their rectums, and putting glass rods into their urethras and then smashing them. He would make the torture last for days. Oh my. Yeah, this wasn't like a quick thing. He did this to them for days. Wow. When Dean finally killed them, he either strangled them or shot them with a twenty-two caliber pistol, with the exception of his first victim, who he suffocated with a piece of cloth. I don't know why he changed how he killed it. Killed them after that, but his first victim wasn't killed the same. Hmm. Dean would then wrap the bodies in plastic and bury them in one of three mass burial sites that he had. He had one burial site under his boat shed in southwest Houston, one near Lake Sam Rayburn, and one in High Island Beach. I don't know where this, these places I are. Where, I know where the lake is. I haven't ever heard of High Island Beach. Well, Dean also had a habit of occasionally throwing police off by having his victims write letters to their parents about their whereabouts, leading police to classify them as runaways. And he kept the victims' keys as souvenirs or trophies after they were murdered. Wow. Yeah. So this is how he got away with a lot of them because they were like, oh, yeah, my kid never came home. And they're like, well, you got a letter? Oh, yeah. he ran away. We're not searching we're for We're not him. searching we're not for him anymore. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, pretty crafty. It's crazy. It is. Yeah, it's so sad. So now we know he had a system in place, not to mention he had accomplices, both a victim of Dean's as well. If you remember, David saw him as a father figure and mm-hmm. Dean paid him for oral sex at a young age and Elmer was a victim that Dean started paying as well and let both of them live and start working for him. And we'll, I'll talk about that more. Okay. So Dean's first known victim was Jeffrey Conan. He was a student at the university of Texas in Austin, and he was abduct- abducted while hitchhiking on September 25th, 1970. He was strangled and asphyxiated with a cloth rag and later buried in Highland Island beach around the same time that Jeffrey was murdered. David interrupted Dean while he was raping two teenage boys who he had strapped to his torture board, two at one time. This is when he got David to keep his secrets and the beginning of Dean getting David to assist him in bringing his victims. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
So he offered David a car for his silence, and David accepted it. So shortly after Dean murdered the boys, he went and bought David a green Chevrolet Corvette. After this, he offered to pay David $200 for any boy he could bring to Dean's apartment. Wow. Yeah. So That's a lot of money, too. Especially back in the 60s. Yeah. Man. I know. So on December, what are you wanting to do this, babe? No, no. Okay, no, I'm, I'm like, like babe. That's a lot of money. <laughs> okay, we're gonna <laughs> it's move not on. Not a business interest that I want to get into. Thank you. Not the kind of entrepreneurial thing I want to do. Awesome. So <laughs> glad to hear that. So on December 13th, 1970, David lured two boys away from a religious rally and brought them to Dean's apartment, where they were raped and murdered. On January 30th, 1971. They encountered two boys who were walking home, and they ended up luring them to Dean's van and driving them to his apartment where they were raped and murdered. They were buried under Dean's boat shed, and from March 1971 through May of 1971, David helped lure three more victims to Dean. On August 17, 1971, David and Dean came across David's friend Reuben Haney, who was walking home from a movie theater. They got him to Dean's apartment where he was raped and murdered. Didn't even matter. Friends, even. Man. Yeah. So in the winter of 1971, David also lured his friend Elmer Wayne Henley to Dean's house to be a victim. But for reasons unknown, Dean spared him and offered him the same deal that David had. $200 per person to leave victims to his apartment. But he told Elmer that he was a member of a slavery ring and he didn't tell them he was raping and murdering these boys. So Elmer's thinking he's going to bring these kids and they're just going to be sold as slaves somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. So that's even crazy though. I know. I, I mean, even that to me is like seriously, yeah. but I guess you would justify it in your head as, as what's the going rate for human trafficking now? You know, you think of what, oh gosh, what's somebody paying somebody to bring and lure people to their house to, I don't know. You know traffic them. I don't want to know. Cra- I don't either, but <laughs> it's, man. Yeah, so at first, Elmer didn't take the offer, but then he finally did. And in early 1972, when he really needed the money, he accepted. And then on March 24th, 1972, the three of them came across one of Elmer's acquaintances named Frank Aguirre. As he, I, was, I think that's how you say mm-hmm. his name, as he was leaving a restaurant they convinced him to come to Dean's apartment to hang out and drink some beer and smoke some weed. And when they got to Dean's apartment, he pushed him onto a table and handcuffed him. When Elmer saw this, he tried to persuade Dean not to hurt him, but instead, Dean killed him and then told Elmer that there wasn't a slavery operation. He then told him that he had raped and murdered the boys that he had brought over to Dean's prior to Frank. And after that, he made Elmer bury Frank's body in High Island Beach. However... According to David, after they were caught, Elmer himself enjoyed murdering boys on his own, too. Oh, really? Yeah, so something was messed up in that guy, too. Like, he wasn't as innocent as what it all seemed. Okay. So, and I don't know how true that is, mind you, but but that's that's David's claim. Okay. So, the three continued luring boys and murdering them until August 7th, 1973. Elmer, who is now 17 years old, invited Timothy Curley to a party at Dean's house. This is the night things go wrong for Dean. So 
As they're leaving to go to the party, Rhonda Williams, who's a friend of Timothy Curley's, joins them to go to the party. This is the first time a girl. Well, you get a female involved and things get messed up. I know, right? That's Man. what happened. Us girls, we mess it all go up. Go Rhonda. <laughs> <laughs> so she had claimed that her father had gotten drunk and had beaten her. So she decided to leave until he sobered up. They didn't want to leave her behind, so they brought her to Dean's. And when they first arrived, Dean was so pissed that they brought a girl. But when they explained what happened, he calmed down and offered them all beer and weed. So he's like, okay. At first he's mad. And then he's like, oh, yeah, okay. Join the party. You got beat up. I'll let you have have drink, smoke, right? Mm -hmm. So they're thinking it's all good. They drank, smoked. Dean waited for them to all pass out. And then Elmer wakes up to find himself gagged and bound. So now he's attacking his own accomplices but he wakes up to find himself gagged and bound dean was fastening handcuffs to his wrists even though elmer worked for him and dean was pissed about Rhonda still so he's huh. he's ranting about them bringing this girl yeah so he noticed that both Rhonda and timothy were strapped next to him bound and gagged already and when dean realized that elmer was awake he removed his gag and told him he was going to kill them all because of Rhonda. so elmer then promised to help Dean rape, torture, and murder Timothy and Rhonda if he would just let him go. And Dean agreed. He's like, sure, okay. <laughs> wow. Right? So the two of them drag Timothy and Rhonda to Dean's bedroom where they tie them to Dean's torture board. Both of them are awake at this point, and Dean's hand, Dean hands Elmer a knife and tells him to cut Rhonda's clothes off and that he's going to rape and murder her on his own. So he's basically like, you're going to do the girl. I'm not touching her. Yeah. But huh. I got this guy over here. It's sad, too. Like, Rhonda's getting away from being beat, and now she's in a worse, even probably worse position. Yes. Yeah, it's terrible. I mean, man. I know. Drunk dad's bad. at home beating the crap out of you, and, and you think you you're getting the, away from the violence, and right. you walk into this. So, so, so some crazy violence. Yes. So Rhonda's asking Elmer if this is for real. Like, she's in shock, you know? Mm -hmm. And and he's, he's like, yes. And then Rhonda says to him, quote, are you going to do anything about it? End quote. You know, basically begging him to intervene somehow or something, trying to appe or appeal to his empathy or if he has yeah, any, you know? Yeah. This is her friend. Right. So this actually does cause Elmer to pause and to think about what he's doing. He then asks Dean if he can take Rhonda to another room but Dean ignores him. So Elmer grabs Dean's gun, yells that they've gone too far and they have to stop trying to get Dean to listen to him. And at this point, Dean is approaching Elmer, taunting him to shoot him, saying things like you won't do it. You know, like now <laughs> these two guys, while they've got these people strapped to this murder board or they're whatever, now they're having, yeah, they're fighting with each other. Oh so one saying stop and the other one's like, shoot me. <laughs> it can, I mean, it sounds like a movie scene, but it really mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. So Elmer fires around at him and hits him in the forehead, but the bullet doesn't penetrate. What? How, I know. How crazy is that? Was he made of steel? Jeez. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. So Dean continues toward Elmer, who fires two more shots at Dean, but one of them hit one of them hitting him in the shoulder. I don't know if the other one went stray mm -hmm. or whatever. Dean turns and leaves the room. And Elmer follows him, shooting him three more times in the back, finally killing him. Jeez. Yeah. He then goes back into the room and frees Timothy and Rhonda, where they 
try to figure out what they're going to do next. While Elmer wants to get out of there, like he's like, let's just leave. Timothy convinces them to call the police and, and explain what happened. Wow. So, yeah. So once they were in custody, Elmer confessed to his and David's involvement in Dean's crimes, telling them everything, including where the burial sites are. Police used convict labor, which I don't think is very um, ethical. Right. Yeah. But they used convict labor. And when they had recovered more than 25 bodies, they stopped digging. Oh, my goodness. So wait till I tell you what they estimate his death toll to be. It's okay. kind of kind of crazy. They only attribute 29 plus based on the fact that they found mismatched bones in the grave. Mm -hmm. But they say it could be as many as 75. Holy crap. Yeah. Jeez. So Dean was not convicted of any crimes because Elmer killed him, but Elmer was indicted and convicted of six murders. And then David, however, portrayed himself as a silent accomplice who wasn't there for any of the rapes or murders. He was indicted for four, but only convicted of one murder. They were both sentenced to life in prison for their roles in the murders, and Elmer is incarcerated at Mark W. Michael in Anderson County, Texas. Mm -hmm. And David was incarcerated at the Ramsey Unit near Rocheron, Roche mm -hmm. I think is how you say yeah. it. He passed away in May 28, 2020 of COVID-19 at the age of 65. So he's a COVID victim. He's one of those. <laughs> yeah. So... There were identified and unidentified remains in the mass graves okay. that they recovered, and there were probably more that than that they didn't find that yeah. are still buried uh -huh. because they stopped digging. Yeah. Why they stopped digging, I don't know. Like it, that to me is insane. Why wouldn't you try and recover everything? Yeah. Well, then they did they know where to keep digging? I mean, yeah, yes. you think in the general area, but it's still. I mean, you would think you could so. Just keep digging. You're like. I wonder if they're at a point like, well, I think we got enough here. I Maybe, think we're good. I guess. But I still, like, there are families with no answers and stuff like that. Oh, so yeah, to of me, course. it's worth continuing to to dig. Yeah. Keep finding what you got to find until you're not finding anything anymore. You know, I, I don't know. Either way, they stopped. And on top of that, there were 44 boys who reported who were reported missing in Houston during the time that the Candyman was active, bringing the possible total number of victims above 75. Wow. Yeah. So former employees of the Coral Candy Company remember seeing Dean take plastic and tape from the candy company, matching what the boys were wrapped in when the bodies were recovered. So okay. that's where he was getting his plastic and tape from, was his own oh, candy company. Yeah. Yeah. An unrelated investigation being conducted in 1975 discovered a cache of pornographic photographs of 16 boys in Houston, of which 11 were confirmed victims of the Candyman. So it's safe to assume that the additional five were also victims. Were, yes. Wow. Like, I thought, yeah. So Dean Arnold Quarrel remained the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history until 1978 when Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy were both credited with 30 more murders mm -hmm. because remember they only gave him 29. Oh yeah. yeah. So your rap sheet's not big enough. Yeah. These guys now. Yep. But I still have to say that I think if they had kept digging, yeah, they would have found a hell of a lot more. Found more. So it was reported too, that Gacy admired Coral 
and even copied some of his motives. Really? Yeah. Huh. Isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah. Serial killers have idols. Yeah, they all do. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so that's the screwed up story of Dean Arnold Coral, known wow. as the Candyman, or sometimes also known as the Pied Piper Killer, although okay. I don't know why. Yeah. I Just thought another, that was another tagline. Yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. Wow. That's a pretty uh, interesting, crazy yes. story. So if you want to find out more, we will post the links on our website that you can check out at wickedness, true crime, the unknown.com. You can contact us at wickedness, true crime at yahoo.com. And please let us know what you think about the episode or other episodes and send us recommendations. We would definitely love to share your stories and those recommendations. Yes, that would be so fun. Heck yeah. And also follow us on Instagram at Wickedness True Crime. And that's it for today. So we will talk to you guys next week. And until then, adios. Bye.